0: Gateway family. It is good to see those of you here on campus and those worshiping from home. I'm thankful that we get to be together this morning. Just a few announcements for you as we begin this morning. Last week I highlighted several books that I wanted to commend to you just to help as we go deeper in our study of James. You guys cleared a lot of those out of the Resource Center after the service. I want you to let you know all those are back in stock from Respectable Sins to Coronavirus in Christ and walking with God through pain and suffering. All those are back in stock in the Resource Center. So after the service today, feel free to go pick them up. We have plenty of copies for you on that. Also, I want to remind you that not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, we have a back to school prayer gathering. Even though school reopenings are crazy and it's a strange season for us, we want to get together as a church family and pray over the kids of this church, the teenagers of this church, the college students of the church. Pray for the school leadership, the administration, the teachers, and pray over the schools. So that'll be a week from Wednesday, not this Wednesday, the next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Finally, we have a new thing starting up that Mike Presley and Brad Mooney are going to oversee for us, and it's called our Men's Outdoor Adventures. we we going to get a chance in the midst of the craziness of COVID for the men of Gateway to have a place to get together regularly and build community and go deeper in relationships and encourage each other in prayers. So that begins this Tuesday night. What we'll do is we'll meet out at Lagoon Park um, at the Trails at 6 p.m., We'll have a devotional, we'll do a short hike together on the Lagoon Park trails back through the woods, and then we'll pray together, and we'll do this every other Tuesday night. So there's details on the blog, I think the website will be up on the screen for you in just a minute. But just go to gatewaybaptist.com slash blog, it'll be the top post on outdoor adventures, and you will see it there with details. We also have some backpacking trips coming up, and some other fun activities for you, so I want to make you aware of that. As we prepare our hearts to worship this morning, can I ask you to stand please? I want to read the Word of God to us as we call our hearts to what God has done For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Friends, we get to rejoice this morning in song and in the preaching of the Word and in prayers that we are reconciled to God and can approach him. Let's celebrate that together.
1: Change it.
2: those people who are often the most forgotten when life gets chaotic and we have to deal with our own stuff. Um, It's often easy to forget those who have special needs and who are among those who are not represented. And thank you for Lenny and Debbie's continued ministry to these people. Lord, thank you for leading Jason Powell and Mary, his wife, and their two children to come uh, from California to Montgomery to plant a church. And thank you for the Connection that they've been able to have with CJ. Uh, thank you that they're plugged in to the Montgomery Baptist Association and ways that we can support them. Um, they responded to your call to come to this city. So Lord, we pray for them as they figure out these next steps and ways that we can support them as they seek to plant a church in our city. And God across the world, we pray each week for an unreached people group. And this week, we pray for the Koro of the Ivory Coast who practice animism with some. Islam, we pray that this tribal group would be led to you, that the elders there that are a part of their community that have that higher stature would come to Christ that they would get the scriptures that missionaries would reach out to them, to the elders, to the people there, and that you would bring revival to those people, bring them to you and Lord for the opportunity that we have to support this church and this ministry through our offering today and online, God, we, we know that we're not, we don't own anything. Like This is not ours. This is yours. Everything we have is yours. And so when you say, give something back to me as an act of faith, And yeah, we'll give it back. It's yours. We're just stewards of it. So, Lord, we pray that you will bless that, bless the, the, the hearts of those who are giving it back to you, Lord, that we would be a part of the ministry that you are doing. And for Preston this morning, as he shares, God, thank you for he and Michelle. Thank you for their time with us. Thank you that they faithfully serve this church, um, and as they take the next steps forward, Lord, we're just we pray blessings over them as they continue to pursue you. And as He shares the, the word with us this morning, God, give Him the words to speak, and give us attentive hearts and minds. We ask this in
0: Jesus' name, Amen. Oh.
1: Well, everybody, you know, oh,
0: that's loud now. You guys know Preston well from his two years on staff with us here, and if you've not yet heard, Preston and Michelle are moving in a week and a half to North Carolina. And so, just a little backstory for you here, friends. Preston reached out to me two and a half years ago. I got an email from a guy, and he said, "Hey, you don't know me, but I want to get into a church and see how this church could operate and what I can learn from." He was finishing up a seminary degree from Southeastern Seminary. So he came on unpaid for a year, worked for free for us to get his feet wet and church ministry. He had done youth ministry at other churches, but we wanted to see how kind of our model of an elder-led church worked. And so he jumped on board and just became a pure joy to work with for us, got into lots of discipleship opportunities, and helped teach in different venues. And then he was here with his wife, Michelle, on her year of residency with the VA Hospital and Pharmacy. After a year, they extended her residency by another year. So had another year with us. We put him on a part-time staff. So he's worked full-time for us, getting paid 20 hours a week for the last 12 months. And we finished up that. During this time, he's helped disciple college students and young adults in the church. We've heard him preach many times along the way. He's just been a true friend to us, but we're thankful that the Lord is giving them a new opportunity, a new season in life, but we are going to miss them. And So with him only having 10 days left and him being a faithful preacher, I've asked him to give us a final challenge to you guys. He'll still be here next Sunday, but they'll be packing up busy moving. So here we are a week out. He's going to give you a final challenge and word of encouragement to you. So we're pausing our study of James this morning and let Preston give you a charge from the Word of God this morning. Preston, we're grateful for you and excited to hear you preach this morning.
3: Thanks so much, Grady. And um, when Grady was sharing about how I first came to meet him and come to this church, just looking back at that moment in um, our life and seeing what all God has done to bless us through Gateway, it, it really does overwhelm me because um, I've told multiple people I feel like not only me individually, but him, Michelle, our marriage, and then growing in ministry, I feel like God has grown me more in our time here at Gateway than any time in my life. So it's been a tremendous blessing, and that's all part of how God has worked in your guys' life to bless us and pouring us. So I'm so grateful for that and grateful to preach to you this morning. And um, I, I may feel a little emotional, but um, I'm trusting God to keep me together. So um, because of what Grady said this is a final charge I wanted to give you guys. We're gonna stop our study in James for this one Sunday. And I wanted to just focus on a passage in the book of Matthew. Uh, if you wanted to turn there with your Bible it would also be on the screen here in a minute. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus gives us a very simple but very forceful reminder and command of what it means to follow him. What it means to be a disciple of Christ. And that's, that is a pretty simple question if someone asks you, um, how do you follow Jesus and why do you follow Jesus? And even though we think uh, we probably would know that answer instinctively... I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we really stopped and slowed down and really tried to get into the nitty gritty of answering that question, we may struggle at times. And I think that's why this passage um, will be so helpful for us. So this is Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. And here's how we're going to work through this passage. We're going to see that there are three things Christ tells us we must do if we are to follow him, and then he gives us four reasons for why we should do it. So three things we should do to follow him, and then four reasons why we should follow him. So that's how to give you an idea of how we're going to work through this. So let's read verses 24 to 27 together, and then after I read, we'll pray together. So would you stand with me as we read God's word if you're able, and the words will be on the screen if you do not have a Bible with you. Starting in verse 24 of chapter 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, each person according to what he has done. Father, we ask you, Lord, as we study this passage that that is firm, that is a hard saying, Lord. But we trust that you have softened our hearts of your people to be able to hear this truth, Lord. As we pray, you would open our eyes and ears to be reminded of who your son is and why and how we should follow him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So, following Christ, denying yourself, taking up your cross, not exactly the passage that you would want to go to if you're wanting to feel self confident in your own self, right? And that's exactly, um, I think, simply put, the main point I want us to walk away with today. And that is this, that you are to, as a follower of Christ, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. Because he is supreme over everything else in your life. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. Because he is supreme over everything else in your life. So let's get into that and see what exactly Christ tells us here. Looking at verse 24, very start of the passage, we see Christ begin like this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me. So he gives an invitation to any person that wants to come after him, that wants to follow him. But then in the rest of the passage, he's going to describe what you must do in order to follow him. And now what I'm saying, what you must do to follow him I'm not meaning that Jesus is giving us a checklist of things to do to earn the right to follow him or earn salvation. We know that's not the case because if you read all of chapter 16, you'd see in verse 17 where Jesus tells Peter that the only reason Peter actually believes Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God is because God the Father had supernaturally revealed that to him in his heart. So he's not telling us what to do to earn a relationship with him. As we know the bible says that left to ourselves we can never place our faith in christ and follow him it takes god initiating and sending the holy spirit to open our eyes and receive him and that's why verse 24 jesus starts out the way he does he says to his disciples if anyone would come after me jesus knew that it was only his disciples that would truly be able to carry out this description of following him that he gives but we'll see that that description of what he gives for following him, it's not only just the one-moment commitment, the one moment you make the decision to follow Christ, but it's the ongoing commitment and relationship that extends out from that one moment of conversion. So we're seeing that this idea of following Christ is not necessarily only a one-time commitment, but a lifetime habit and a lifetime relationship with Christ. So thinking of that, thinking of this, Relationship with Christ, following Christ. Let's start in verse 24 and see one of the first things Jesus says we must do to follow him. So reading verse 24 again. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So look at that first phrase, let him deny himself. To deny yourself is to totally give up your own sinful will and desires, and embrace God's will and desires in Christ instead. But to do that, to deny yourself, you first have to come to the realization that apart from Christ, there is nothing good in you, that apart from Christ, there's nothing righteous about you, there's nothing in you that deserves anything good from God at all, except his punishment and wrath. So when you come to see your sin as God sees it, in that moment you cannot look at yourself and think, oh yeah, there is something good in me. I'm not as bad as them, or I try to do this, or I try to do that. You can't answer that way because denying yourself means that you're confessing that your flesh is not good for anything except sending you straight to hell. So I think it's interesting too, you see that word deny, that the Greek word translated deny in this verse is the same Greek word translated deny in the story of Peter denying Jesus three times. You may be familiar with that story when Jesus is getting arrested and about to be crucified. Peter is standing up away watching and three times someone comes up to him and says, I think I know you. I think I saw you with Jesus. And what's he say three times in a row, no. eventually he even says, I don't even know the man. That's a picture of what Jesus is saying we should do to our sinful flesh. I don't even want to be a part of that old person. I don't even want to be a part of that old life. Denying myself and instead embracing the desires of Christ. That's how we're supposed to do this. I don't want anything to do with my old self. It's to say what Paul said in Romans 7, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. And looking at that This idea of denying yourself in verse 24 makes me think about one of the most common conversations that you'll have with people when sharing the gospel with them, especially in our region and our area. And it'll go something like this. You'll be talking to a person, and you'll eventually ask them if they're a Christian, and they say yes, but then you quickly pick up on the fact that they don't understand the gospel at all. That to them, the only thing required... For being a Christian and going to heaven with God forever is to simply acknowledge the existence of God. That's all that's required. There's no recognition of their own sin, their own heart, their own separation from God. And it's in those situations that I try to ask them if you died right now and were standing before God, and he asks you, Why should I let you in to my kingdom to be with me forever? What would you say? and never fails the identity of true believers and true unbelievers is revealed in that moment because the true believer is going to respond differently but the true unbeliever is going to start with one word I I did this I tried my best I helped this person I said a prayer I was a member of this church but what's the true believer going to do? Simply going to raise their finger and point to Christ and say, he did this for me. He died for me. He shed his blood for me. He is the only reason I am worthy to be here and spend eternity with you. Because Jesus is telling us that same thing here. That's why he's saying we have to deny ourselves, Because that's the only response that is acceptable for a follower of Christ. When you initially come to Christ, you are denying yourself, placing your trust in him, throwing away that old life and old self, because that sin, Colossians 2 says, has been nailed to the cross. The record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Like we mentioned earlier, this isn't just a one-time decision. This is an ongoing decision moment by moment, day by day action that Jesus is calling us to and we know this is the case because of the second thing Jesus tells us to do to follow him, this is also in verse 24, I'll read it again then Jesus told his disciples if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, take up your cross, that's the second thing Jesus says his followers must do and it's connected to the first Denying yourself, if a person is going to deny themselves, there is something else they must be embracing in its place. And Jesus says it's His cross that we have been brought to be united to. So Jesus took took up His cross, both literally and figuratively, when He resisted the temptation. To embrace what a sinful human would have done in that situation. And instead he perfectly embraced his father's will and his father's desires. And he's calling us to the exact same thing right here in this passage. For a Christian to take up their cross, they must be willing to align themselves completely with Christ. And give up their own sinful, fleshly desires in order to gain Christ. And I don't think there's a better passage in the Bible than Romans 6. It illustrates this for us. This is Romans 6, verses 5 through 8. If you listen to this, it would be super helpful to give us an image of this. Paul says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall be certainly united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For we, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So by God's grace, we're brought to the point of being able to embrace Christ and his cross each day because God has united us with Christ in his death. So think about this. If you are a true Christian, when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, He took you and killed you with himself. Your old sinful self was as good as dead the moment he died on the cross. It was just waiting to be brought about in space and time here on earth when you were converted. Makes me think of the passage in Chronicles of Narnia when, I can't remember if it was Lucy maybe, that asked Aslan, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver is it, responds back. Of course, he's not safe, but he's good. I think that's what Christ is telling us here. Christ isn't safe because if you get too close to him, he will kill you. And that's the best thing that can happen to you. This idea of taking your cross up each day, Paul also says in Romans 6, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So notice that Paul says, even though you've already been united to Christ, you've already been brought to embrace the cross of Christ, you must do that and realize that more and more each day. Consider yourselves dead to sin on the cross and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Similar to what he says in Philippians 3, that Paul says he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul wanted to align his life so closely with Christ to experience all the power and all the effects that Christ had died to give him. So each day that's what we must be doing. We must be seeking to know him so closely that the power of his death, the power of his resurrection comes to fruition in our life. So I want to ask you this morning church, are you taking up your cross each day? Are you dying to your old sinful desires? Are you putting to death what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. And friends, if you're not putting those desires to death day by day, you have to ask, Am I united to Christ? But maybe you are united to Him, but you've been struggling to do this consistently. And if you are, I think it's so helpful what Jesus says. And the rest of this passage in Matthew 16. So let's read verse 24 again. And we're going to see the third and final thing Jesus tells us we must do to go after him. In verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So follow me. It's the third thing Jesus says. Summarizing the other two. To follow Jesus means we seek to know him more intimately and closely than anything else in this world. And that he is the person we're listening to. That whatever he says we do, whatever he does, we try to do. And it's only after, Jesus says, it's only after a person denies himself and takes up his cross that he can actually be said to be following Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And the way we do that is simply seeking to walk with Christ as closely as possible. This invitation in Matthew 16 sounds very similar to another one Jesus gave in John 15. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may be, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So notice that Jesus says that he has already poured out his love on us. And now he simply is asking us to remain in that love. And we do that by keeping his commands, by following him as the Lord of our life. That whatever he says goes. When you follow someone, you're imitating them. You're listening to them. You're doing what they say. So, in light of that, church, I want to encourage each of you to ask yourself this that if you died today, in this moment, and your family and your friends and the people of this church were reflecting on your life, and they asked each other, who was he or she closest to? Could they say it was Jesus Christ? More than your spouse? More than your children? More than your siblings? More than your parents? More than your friends? More than an object? Who were they closest to? As friends, as followers of Christ, Jesus tells us that the answer must be him. Must be him. If That question is convicting to you. It stirs up a desire in you to want to follow him. I really want you to hear the rest of this passage, passage in verses 25 through 27. Verses 24, he gave us those three things we must do to follow him now he's going to give us the four reasons why we should follow him. So, four reasons to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. One, if you pursue your sinful flesh and the pleasures of this world, you will not have eternal life. This first one comes from verse 25. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This idea of trying to save your life. He's talking about the old life, the sinful, fleshly life. You're trying to save that. You're trying to hold on to that. He says you will not have eternal life. And I think that's something that we get sometimes uneasy about. I know I have in my life because I was taught from such an early age that you cannot question somebody's profession of faith. If they said they're Christian, if they said that prayer and yeah, baptized them, they are a Christian, even if it doesn't look like it the rest of their life. But Jesus tells us here, if you are trying to hold on to your old sinful life, you will not have eternal life, black and white, plain and simple. But that is not an overbearing command and exhortation to us, friends, because like we said earlier, it's not something we're trying to achieve or do. It's something he's already done in his death on the cross, just like James has given us warning time and time again when he said faith without works is dead. That's supposed to be a hopeful thing for us because we realize that. I can't make these good works in my flesh, but through God's grace in Christ, I'm a new person, and he's working in me to do those good works now. So if you pursue your sinful flesh and pleasures of this world, you will not have eternal life. And the second reason why we should follow Christ, Jesus says that gaining the pleasures of this world gives no benefit. Gaining the pleasures of this world gives no benefit. This comes from verse 26 when he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And the answer to that, friends, is nothing. If he gains the whole world, what's he going to get? What can you trade that for before God? Jesus says that even though our flesh, the enemy, and the world seduces and tempts us, that seeking sinful, worldly pleasure will not satisfy us. It's like an oasis in a desert that you think is there only to get there, that you just sand. It will not satisfy. Third thing, third reason, Jesus says we should follow him. He says he is coming soon. To judge the world. He is coming soon to judge the world. This comes from verse 27, where Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Repay each person according to what they have done. Friends, I cannot imagine a scarier place to be in in the whole universe than to hear those words and not know Jesus Christ. Just the thought of standing up here before you and having on the PowerPoint all the sins I've done that you guys have to see, I mean, that sounds pretty horrible. At the end of the day, it may ruin my earthly life and I may maybe not be able to go out in public again, but y'all can't do anything to me. But to stand before God and have him go through every single sin in action every millisecond either of a sin of commission that i did wrong or something i neglected that i should have done friends no one can stand up for one second under that list of wrongs he's coming soon to judge the world and he's telling us we better be right with him friends we should never reach a place as christians even though we trust christ has saved us We should never reach a place of comfort and cruise control that we we hear of Jesus' second coming. We don't even have any concern at all. He tells us this because he wants us to be ready. He wants us to be prepared and check ourselves because it's not our hope in a past confession or a past profession that gives us security that when he comes again he'll accept us. It's that present moment trust in him day by day that needs to be renewed every moment. He's coming soon to judge the world. Then the fourth and final reason for why we should follow Christ that is the foundation for all the others is this. Jesus says that true life, satisfaction, and pleasure are only found in him. True life, satisfaction, and pleasure are only found in him. We see this in verse 25 and verse 27 where he says, For whomever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Whoever loses his life will find it. That giving up the old life, giving up the sin, giving up the selfishness, you will find Christ. Following him, denying yourself, taking up your cross, you will be repaid with the gift of Christ himself for eternity. So why do you do it? If a person asks you, why do you do all this? Why do you try to deny your old flesh? Why do you take up this cross that is just hard? Because Christ is so much better. Because Christ is supreme over everything in my life. He's the Lord over everything in my life in that sense, but also he's supreme in the sense that he is better, more satisfying, more joyful than anything else in my life. So thinking about this idea, friends, that when these disciples heard this, the 11 of the 12 that received it and did follow him, why did they do that? Why did they go through the beatings, the killings, Was so worth it to them. They had a vision in their hearts of the joy and pleasure of the presence of Christ, and they wanted that. So to hear them say, Christ say, Deny yourself and take up the cross, those were sweet words to them, because there was a treasure in a field that they wanted to sell everything they had to go and get it. Thinking about that idea of Christ's supremacy over everything, how he is so much better, so much greater. I wanted to close with a quote that has been very impactful to me. And it's an extended quote, but it is so helpful and so good. And I heard this from a um, sermon from John Piper, author and teacher. You may know some of his books are in the Resource Center. And he basically goes through the Bible thinking about the supremacy of Christ in this quote and reminding us of how glorious, wonderful, and awesome he is. So I just want to read this quote to you as best I can. And after I finish, we'll pray and be done. So why is Christ supreme? How is he supreme? Why is he worth denying ourselves and taking up our cross? Piper says this. We must know the supremacy of his deity, equal with God the Father in all his attributes, the radiance of his glory, and the exact image of his nature, We must know the supremacy of his eternality that makes the mind explode with the imponderable thought that Jesus Christ never had a beginning. He is simply there. The absolute reality we must come face to face with. We must rise to see the supremacy of his eternality. While all the universe, including this building and your body and this earth and all the galaxies in the universe are fragile Frail like a shadow in comparison to the ever-existing substance of Jesus Christ. We must know the supremacy of his never-changing constancy, to have virtues that never change. He has a character and commitments that never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We must know the supremacy of his knowledge that makes the library of Congress look like a matchbox... And all the information on the internet look like a 1940s farmer's almanac and makes all of quantum physics and everything Stephen Hawking or Albert Einstein ever dreamed of look like a first-grade textbook. We must know the supremacy of his knowledge. We must know the supremacy of his wisdom that has never been perplexed by any problem whatsoever, nor can he be counseled or taught by any person or being in the universe. We must know the supremacy of his authority. All authority is his on the earth and under the earth. Over the earth from the top of Mount Everest 29,000 feet up to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean 36,000 feet down. We must know the supremacy of his providence. Without which not a single bird in the extended reaches of the Amazon forest has ever fallen off a single limb. And without which not one hair on your head turns white white. Or black. We must know the supremacy of His Word that moment by moment upholds the universe by the Word of His power, all the galaxies, molecules, atoms, and subatomic realities nobody has yet dreamed of, down there where no one has ever looked. We must know the supremacy of His power to walk on water, cleanse lepers, and heal the lame. Open the eyes of the blind, cause the deaf to hear and storms to seize and the dead to rise with a single word or even a thought. We must know the supremacy of his purity. He never sinned. He never had one millisecond of a bad attitude or a sinful, lustful thought. We must know the supremacy of his trustworthiness. He never breaks a promise. He always keeps his word without fail and without question. We must know the supremacy of his patience. He has endured you and me for years and decades. And he has endured this city and this world and will bring his sun to rise every day. Can you imagine why he brought the sun to rise on this wicked city and this wicked world full of us type sinners? And he still causes the sun to rise in the morning. We must know the supremacy of his sovereign servant obedience to keep his Father's commands perfectly and willingly embrace the cross and die in our place. We must know the supremacy of his wrath that will one day explode on this world with such intensity on all those who have rejected them and those people will call for rocks and mountains to crush them rather than face his wrath. We must know the supremacy of his grace That gives life to the spiritually dead rebels and sinners like us. He gives life to hell-bound haters of God. He forgives and justifies the ungodly with his own righteousness and death on the cross. We must know the supremacy of his love. That which died for us while we were still sinners. And gives to the absolutely undeserving the ability for ever increasing joy and pleasure in following him forever. This is what we were made for, to know the supremacy of Christ. This world thinks it's foolish because they want to live for themselves and sin and in the things of this world and they don't realize this time on earth is a sliver of a slice and then it'll either be with him forever or punished by him forever. We must know the supremacy of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we we are humbled. We are brought low at the thought of your greatness, of your glory. Lord, the, the fact that the Holy Spirit right now is inviting us to follow Christ more deeply, more earnestly. That he's inviting us, giving us a chance to repent again. To deny ourselves and take up the cross, Lord. We cannot fathom your supremacy, your greatness, your glory. Lord, in your grace and mercy that we fail at this so often, Lord. We do not follow you as closely as we should, Lord. And we are taking hope and confidence in the fact that you love us. That your love is fixed from all eternity on us. We cannot do anything to affect it. Lord, so we cry out to your mercy, Lord. Please fill us with your spirit. Help us to follow you. Help us to deny ourselves and take up our cross to be followers of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.
1: The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you.
0: anchor and our hope today. Lord, I pray that today and all this week, you would keep our eyes turned to you to see you and your beauty and your glory and your splendor, and that you would just move in our lives and only you can, and we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. God bless you, Gateway family.